0: All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome. I am Cam, and I am going to be on. Um, I'm one of the elders here at City Light, and it's so good to have you here. Um, A big welcome if this is your first week with us. I love having new people here, Um, so thanks for being with us. Um, This is uh, a week two in our series on the book of James, Um, and normally when I preach... um, I don't know if it's Gab or if it's Jez um, having a laugh, but I'm given like relatively obscure topics to preach on. Like I'm given like angels and like talking about singleness and like pornography and stuff. So like when I was given this passage, I was like, finally, yes, an easy passage. But I was mistaken because we'd be fools to think that this is an easy passage. It's anything but. It, It hits right at the core of who we say we are. And if you've just joined us this week, uh, last week, Gav kicked us off in part one of chapter one in James, um, and he was looking at real faith in joy. But the question for us today is this, um, and it's a slightly different one, and, it's, and it isn't an easy one. The question for us is, how can we know that the life that you're living is authentic and real in following Jesus? If we say we are Christians, it's just saying something enough. How do you know that your faith is real? So that's what we're looking at today. And before that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that uh, we'd be ready to hear what God has to say in his word. Uh, so will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. Um, we have this building uh, that we uh, are a people united in Christ and that we can hear from you now. We pray that as we we understand your word here in James, uh, that you'd be speaking to us. And Lord, whatever distractions are going on, whatever week we've had, whatever difficulties we're going through right now, we just pray that your spirit would give us a moment of pause to stop and to hear from you, to hear of your love and your goodness. Father, we pray that you would challenge us to live in light of this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I remember in my uh, first year of uni, I went uh, to movies and I saw uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglourious Bastards. Um, Like I've been in Tarantino. Who's seen that movie? Uh, Yeah, okay, a fair few people. Cool, cool. Um, I don't particularly like Blood, but um, I think Tarantino's clever. And there's this scene, if you've seen it, and it's one of the most suspenseful scenes, I think, in cinema. Um, It's of this. Uh, Allied British soldier uh, who's going undercover as a a Nazi uh, to a Nazi bar. Kind of sounds like a joke. Um, But uh, a German sergeant in this bar comes in and sits down casually with him, and they start talking, and he's starting to kind of Pick up on his like strange accent, and um, and as it's all going on, like the suspense builds up, and you're like, is he going to get caught out? And and you're thinking something's about to go down, and and sure enough, something does go down, Tarantino style. Um, but how the, the the British found out to be a spy, in the end, what what got him was not just only his how he spoke, but how he held up the number three. He held up the number three like this, which is yeah, pinky to middle finger. And that's because that's how the Germans did it, apparently, according to the movie. Um, Everyone else holds it up for middle finger to the no-man's-land finger. (laughs) Don't know what that finger's called, but that one. (laughs) Um, See, it was was his actions in the end that got him caught out, that gave him away. His actions and how he spoke. And I wonder, uh, for us today, do our actions and our speech indicate that we are authentic followers of Jesus? Or are we pretending? Are we deceiving ourselves? Could we be deceiving ourselves by just coming along to church on a Sunday and then living a very different life throughout the week? Because it is the case that that doing indicates what you believe and who you are. And this is what our passage deals with today living out our identity, our faith in action. But if we're not careful, um, as we read the book of James, um, the book of James it becomes wisdom uh, with great practical ways where to live, uh, but wisdom that's detached from the person and teaching of Jesus. Uh, a lot of this letter is, um, is built from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in chapters uh, 5 to 7 of, of Matthew. And if you read the letter of James... Uh, with that in the mind, in your mind, and really echoing in your ears, you'll begin to see and hear Jesus over and over again. All throughout the book of James, the name Jesus is only mentioned twice, and so it is easy to kind of detach yourself from that. But if you weren't with us last week, um, what James is wanting is the churches uh, who he's writing to is to build their lives together, to build their community together in wisdom, built on Jesus. As they face persecution, as they face temptations, as they struggle with their sin, that they would build their life together in wisdom and in joy, built on Christ. And James is really concerned that they may actually be deceiving themselves, deceiving themselves about their relationship with God, because how they're living is very different from what God had called them into. He's really concerned about this. And he's not writing from some like, distant happy land where he's like, got everything sorted out. Um, as we know from the, the book of Acts, uh, James was a significant leader in the early church. He was on the front line. He was in the trenches with people. He was hearing stories, uh, interacting, knowing the lives of people in these churches. And so he's concerned that the church's circumstances and their worldliness is revealing that their faith may not actually be authentic. And so, we're just going to go back, actually, to sentence uh, 16, because this is crucial to understand before we get to to sentence 19, our passage. Uh, Because in this section, He tells them of who God is and what their identity is. Have a look. It'll come up at sentence 16. It says, "'Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers,' Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He's saying God's character is one of unchanging goodness. And in his good will, he saved us, brought us forth by the word of truth, in grace, He saved us through the death and resurrection of Christ that would now live out being a new creation. The first fruits of what living with God will be like in heaven for eternity. He's pointing them to their, to their identity. He's saying, This is who you are. You are the first fruit. You're the sign of the things being made all new again. That's what the first fruit means. He's pointing them to this identity and for eternity to come. And he's saying, you as a people, as a church, are to be witnesses to everyone around you of this new creation to come. You're pretty important in God's story. And James knows that in order for people's character to be truly changed and transformed, what we need is this vision of the new creation, is to hear of grace. This picture, a a narrative of where our life is headed. And without this picture, we will struggle. We will drift, and we won't finish the race. Um, Consider it like this. Uh, A weird one to imagine, I know, but um, I don't have kids. But if I do have kids one day, I might not, but if I do, um, (laughs) I'll probably want them to play the piano. Yeah, Yeah. it's a last-minute piano photo. Now, I think, um, I think piano is a great instrument. I'd also probably think cello is a good option, too. Um, but if I wanted my child to start learning the piano, I'm, I'm not going to start with music theory. I'm not going to say, OK, so this is a clef. It kind of tells you what pitch the notes are in, so you can go on. Um, that would be terrible. It would be a terrible way to compel the, the young lion. It would be, it'd be, it would be terrible. That's my last name, if you didn't know. Um, So what am I going to do? What am I going to do with the young lion? I'm going to sit them down, and I'm going to show them Hans Zimmer. Does anyone know who Hans Zimmer is? Yeah, he's a film composer. Um, Last week, a friend and I, we went and saw Hans Zimmer um, live. Uh, He's done, like, The Lion King. Uh, He's done uh, Inception, Interstellar, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dark Knight, just like most movies you've seen. Um, And it was incredible, like... I legit was, was praising God throughout the show because I was like, this is beautiful. I love this. Um, get this, like the original guy in, in Lion King who does like the any that guy? Yeah. He sang there. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Great that he gets a clap. So if I'm I'm actually going to teach the young lion to play piano, I'm going to to show them Hans Zimmer. I'm going to play the music. I'm going to cast a vision of what creating music and playing the piano is going to be like. Um, I'm going to take them to a show. I'm going to tell them stories of when I saw Hans and it'll be great. And once they have that vision, then we'll get to the music theory and we'll see how the piano works and whatnot. And it's the same for us in Christ. Only a beautiful vision transforms. A vision of our identity in God is what compels us to persevere in times of difficulty. It's not a list of things to do. So we need to be captured by the idea that we as a people have the privilege of being indicators of eternity to come. Once we're captured by this, James says, continue on, but... There are some things that will crush your identity, and you may even be deceiving yourselves if you don't address them. And so to our passage in sentence 19, James now gets practical, and he kicks off this section saying, um, anger will crush your identity. Have a read with me in sentence 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James wants Christians here to be marked as those who are safe and deeply understanding. Instead of like flying off the rails and getting mad when anything doesn't go our way or when we're wronged, to stop, to slow down, and to understand why something has happened before getting angry. You know, I'm, I'm often too quick to assume something, and I can just be wrong in my anger because I actually haven't taken the time to understand something correctly. How often is the case that for us? And look, there are many things, particularly in Sydney and in the world, that can trigger us to, to be angry. We've got politics, world leaders, um, apathy on issues that we care about and we think are important, um, people cutting you off in traffic, the singer Pitbull, many things make us angry in this world. Yeah. And we get angry when we've been wronged or if we think something isn't right. Uh, And the extent to our anger is how much we consider that thing to not be right. And unless we're omniscient, unless we're all-knowing like God, our determination of right and wrong is going to be influenced by our own brokenness. So followers of Jesus are to be understanding, I mean understanding this and therefore be quick to engage with our ears first before we speak. We're to be those who understand our own brokenness. Um, It's like this, uh, in the movie 12 Angry Men, it's a brilliant movie, there's a photo up there, look at them, Ooh, they're angry. the, the, the movie is, it's a brilliant movie, it's entirely in a, in a jury's like discussion room, I don't know what they call it, but the, um, the idea is that the 12 jurymen are deciding the verdict uh, that will dictate a young man's life who's been charged with murder. And all but one, the kind of guy in the, in the center, um, all but one immediately start off from the get-go saying he's guilty. And as the movie goes on, it actually shows that each jurymen's original opinion was a rash reflection of their own issues. There was a rashness to their initial opinion that they didn't actually slow down and listen and think things through. Some lash out because of their, with, their, with anger because of their own prejudice. Um, one guy lashes out because of his relationship with his son. And like in 12 Angry Men... It is the case that our anger towards others is often a reflection of our own issues. and If you don't slow down to listen, you leave anger to run rampant, and it will crush your identity in Christ. Because remember, James is speaking from identity, and he says in sentence 20, anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. See, it goes deeper than a a surface interaction. Anger doesn't produce the fruit of living your life in light of being saved. And here, James is concerned that the church is damaging their health and their witness as first fruit community that they're supposed to be. Being angry doesn't reflect your identity in Christ, and it will impact your witness to others. It will impact it at work to your friends, your children. And a bunch of you might be thinking, well, hang on, didn't like Jesus get angry? Didn't he like flip a couple of tables and stuff in the temple? Um, yeah, <laughs> he was angry. And he was, he was angry with injustice and he had a righteous anger. But this isn't the anger that most of us deal with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, John Piper, a, a theologian and, and writer, he puts it this way. He says, godly anger is one of those things that is just an inch away, and yet it's 10 million miles away. Think the last time you got angry. How quickly did it happen? What caused your anger? Were you tired? Or were you stressed? Was it unnecessary in the end? Well, if you're anything like me, you'll try and justify your anger by saying it's righteous. But often our our anger isn't. And instead a reflection of some underlying insecurity or issue. Whether, Whether it's feeling out of control, whether it's feeling unvalued, or wanting to feel power. Look, if you're an angry person, and you've been denying it, if you've been justifying it. Maybe today you need to check your anger and start letting God do the work. Christians are meant to be those who people feel safe with, that are approachable. And James shows us how we can start doing this. So, in sentence 21, have a look, it'll come up on the screen. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is saying, in, in fact, to live according to your identity, it's to put away not only anger, but all wickedness in your life. And the way to rid ourselves of this sin is by humbly accepting God's word. It's to listen to God. And see what James did here? He took the behavior, the, the heart issue, anger, And he went straight to their submission of the gospel. He didn't say, hey, let me like show you a few techniques on kind of how to calm down and cool down in that moment. No, like those things may be helpful, but he didn't do that. He says, you need to receive the gospel afresh. You need to submit yourself to the Word of God, which is able to save you. It's able to save you from sinful behavior. Friends, we, we aren't going to change without God's Word, the Bible. It's when we learn to listen to Him that we begin to live lives that honor Him. In our relationship with God, we're to be listeners first. And so how are you going with that? Are you allowing the time to meet with God and let the gospel transform your heart as you look at Christ? Are you skipping that wonderful time in the middle of the week where we get to open God's Word in, in community groups together? Or have you gotten back into that mindset that says, okay, God, like, you've got five minutes of my time, uh, so you, beget, you better get on like, revealing what you need me to know today because like, I got to go, you know? How absurd is it that we would treat the creator of the universe in this way? If we're going to persevere in this age, of which we can get angry, we can get lustful, bitter, greedy, with just so many things and so many attractive things, we need to be captured by God's vision, and we need to listen to Him. And so, if you're not meeting with God daily, in the words of Shia LaBeouf, just do it. (laughs) Just do it. Like, meet with Him. Honestly, like, please, like, I beg you, like, please meet with God daily. Daily. But James isn't done yet, because he's going deeper, and he's actually targeting those who are being passive, those who are hearing. They might be engaging, but they're not doing anything. So see what he says here in sentence 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is saying here being passive will crush your identity. And look, you might be wondering uh, what the mirror is all about here. Um, well, this is an, a neat illustration, actually. It's pretty cool. Um, Mirrors, at uh, this time, uh, were not everyday objects. Um, Oddly, the other day, I was actually talking with friends about mirrors and and if they had them back in the time. I was like, what what did they do? Um, Did they have just like a bit of metal? Did they just like look into water like Mulan did in that song, Reflection? (laughs) It's one for the Disney fans out there. (laughs) Well, it it turns out uh, mirrors were like super rare. Um, People were generally, Unfamiliar with what they looked like. Isn't that wild? I and mean, that's crazy. Um, the people James is writing to—they didn't—they didn't look at mirrors often. And so when they looked at themselves in the mirror, they would see themselves, then they'd leave and they'd walk away and forget because they weren't actually seeing themselves often enough. And the word "forget" in, in the passage um, doesn't just mean to not remember. It means you actually discard it. And the point that James is making here is that those who hear the word and don't do it are like this. And this is big because James is saying is that there are men and women in the church who think they're pleasing to God. They profess to agree with what is heard and preached. Uh, They come to church gatherings. And yet when they leave, their lives are not reflecting this truth. Their lives are empty of obedience to what they're hearing it's big stuff because it's in God's word that we know who we are God gives us our identity in his word if we don't take action from reading it if we don't look in the word daily and act from it then our identity will fade away like forgetting your face But it's not all negative uh, here because he does give a flip side. Um, He says, to those who act, there is blessing. See what he says here. Um, It'll come again, hopefully. Thanks, Phoebes. But the one who looked into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There is blessing to acting upon the word. And remember, these are people who are facing various trials of various kinds. And when difficulty comes, instead of being uncertain of themselves or who you are, listening and doing Jesus' things will give you certainty. Your life will be blessed from being less angry, less lustful, less greedy. For God intended us to listen and to act this way. And this isn't a constraint on our lives to live according to God's Word. Sam Albrey, a Christian writer, he says this. He says, Removing a fish from water does not give it more freedom, but less. It is designed to live in the water, not apart from it. Freedom from water is a removal of constraint, but it is also, for a fish, a complete misunderstanding of what freedom really is. This is what it means to live the Christian life. We're made to live God's way in this freedom. And one of the great benefits and blessings of being a Christian in a culture that's trying to grasp on to to different uh, forms of identity desperately is that Jesus lays it out for us. You may be someone or know someone who is just so unsure of themselves. Maybe um, they're in a moment in their life where they're trying to figure out what they're meant to do, who they're meant to be. And I can relate. I, I'm somewhat of kind of a crossroads in my, uh, in my job, my career, and I'm trying to figure out the next step. But I want to tell you, even in the stress and the uncertainty, my gosh, knowing Jesus is just the best. Knowing that my work doesn't define me. More than that, knowing that all the sinful stuff that I've done doesn't define me is freeing. I don't have to live that way anymore. The encouragement here is that if you engage in understanding how God views you and what He has done for you and live it out, you will know who you are, you will persevere in your faith, and it will enrich and bless you and those around you. And so the question for us is, are we being passive? And if you're being passive in your faith, I hope this is a wake-up call. It was for me. If you're known as that angry person who has a hot temper, if colleagues worry uh, when they bring you work or ask you a question, if your children are fearful of your anger, uh, and if your spouse and you just argue all the time because you're not listening, slow down. It will only cause you misery if you continue. So read the Bible. Understand who you are. See Jesus and the vision he gives of living and act on it. You will find that you were probably drowning in this, uh, and this is the deep of, uh, breath of fresh air that you needed to survive. Jesus is our model here. Though Peter struck the ear of the guard coming to take Jesus, Jesus rebuked him in obedience to God's will. Though Jesus was tormented and tortured and spat upon, and he had every right to lash out, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're to follow Jesus, who lived out obedience to the glory of God, living out our identity in action. And James is going to, he's going to continue to hammer this point through for the rest of the letter. But if you're looking for a sure way to do this, James gives it. And finally, in sentence 26, he says this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James here is somewhat interchanging the word faith with religion. So he says, like, the faith that is pure. And he's saying, hey, if you want to fuel your identity of action, if you want to know your faith is real, do two things. One, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And two, don't follow and have your life tainted by what the world offers instead of God. And as we looked at today, James says true Christians will, will stand firm amongst those who are, uh, amongst all the temptations that we face. But also, true Christians will act and have a concern to help and provide for the most vulnerable. Their distress will matter to us, and we will do something about it. We won't be like those who look in the mirror and then forget who, they are, who we are. This will matter. For God Himself expresses His love in caring for us, a helpless people. How faith becomes real and our identity is secured is when we look at those, we look after those especially in need. And when I said this passage was hard at the start, this is like the point of the dagger at the end for me. My life isn't filled with orphans and widows. You know, in, in, in some way, it's, it's kind of good that our society that we live in has a government that, that really helps and has structures in place to look after uh, people in need. But this is just, it is so easy to justify. And it's so easy to write off, and, and I'm not doing that. We need to be hit by this. I mean, it, at, at City Light, we do it in small ways. We do it by, by giving to the Asylum Seeker Centre, to Diamond Women's Support, to Hands and Feet and Open Doors. And that's a good thing to do. And if you can get involved further in that, if you can join Hands and Feet Ministry here, like please do. Do that. Put your faith in action. But I just want to acknowledge that like like I would actually love to talk to people about how to do this better for the glory of God. You may be doing this in ways that I I don't know of. You may be visiting nursing homes. You may be going around to your neighbor's places who are in need, who are widowed. Um, You may be in communities that I'm not. We need to be thinking about these things and sharing how to do this better for the glory of God. But just as a starter, uh, just as a starter to express the evidence of true obedience to God's uh, word in this way, can I encourage you, if you're not sponsoring a child, consider doing so. There are just heaps of good organizations that you can get around. Ones like Compassion, World Vision, uh, the Kotoki Trust, which I go through. And you know, like, I, I put off sponsoring a child for years thinking that I didn't have enough finances. And look, unless you're living paycheck to paycheck, it is most likely that you can afford it. And if not just you, then maybe another person can do it together. Uh, In God's cool timing, um, just this week, I actually, I got a letter from my sponsor child. I sponsor a boy named Blesswell in Tanzania. Uh, And every time I get a letter from him, um, my eyes well up and um, I'm going to read Uh, this letter now, um, and I hope my eyes don't well up. (laughs) He says this, Dear Sponsor, Mr. Cameron Lyon, together with your family, I hope you are going well with your activities. Thank you, (laughs) Blesswell. Here in Tanzania, we are continuing well with my family. The aim of writing this letter is to thank is in thanksgiving and greetings to you, but I know that you are uh, that I am far from, you know that I am far from my family. I'm here at Kotoki-Lewinland Secondary School. Here at school, I'm continuing well with my studies together with my fellow students. I'm going well with my studies, but I was in the exams on the 19th of August to the 23rd of August. But I wish I would pass my exams, because they are going sometimes. They'd be different. (laughs) I promise you that I will work hard in my studies, and I will try to pass my exams, because I know that you are sponsoring by paying for me the school fees, so I can proceed with my studies. I thank you for the support that you always give me in my education, so that I can see and reach my dreams and my destiny after studies. So I thank you very much for your cooperation you always give me in my studies. My family too, they thank you for the cooperation uh, that you are showing me, and they are happy for the support that you help me with. I thank you very much, and God bless you, and long life my sponsor, I love you so much. Yours, bless well. It's happened twice today now. <laughs> when God says that your life will be blessed from doing things according to His will, I can tell you that that is certainly the case. Look, if you don't follow Jesus, can I encourage you to investigate the, the joy that it is to follow Him? It is so good. And for, those, for those of us who are let's live out our lives in action to God's word. That as the first fruits of the new creation, we would display eternity to come. That God's way is best and assure that our lives are blessed in doing so. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that it is through your grace, through his death and resurrection, for you coming to us, that we can have any relationship with you. We pray now that as we hear from your word, that we wouldn't just hear and, and go away and forget, but we would be doers, that we would take action and live out our identity. Father, if there is, is sin that is holding us back from living this out, May you reveal it to us. May you show us in your word the need for us to get rid of it and bring it before you. Father, thank you so much that it isn't by doing things that we have relationship with you. It is grace alone. Help us to show that it is a blessing to be a follower of Jesus. Amen like every week we're going to uh, pause and reflect and, and reflect on what God may have been um, convicting us of in his word today. So will you just take a moment now and then the band will